Good morning. For the Advent uh, season, we're going to have some a carol we're going to sing. You can turn in your hymn books to 224. Go tell it on the mountain. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. And uh, each week, we'll take a little bit of time before service and sing a carol or maybe two as we go through. We only get so many uh, weeks to sing Christmas carols. Many times, I've heard so many people say they don't want anything to do with Christmas until after uh, Thanksgiving. So we're trying to cram in, I think, about 350 songs between now and the end. So we'll see how we do. But it's good to see everybody. Let me begin this morning with prayer. Uh, and as I've done before, let me just read as we take a moment the meditation before I open in prayer. This is not a praying age. It is an age of great activity, great movements, but one in which the tendency is very strong to stress the seen and the material and to neglect and discount the unseen and the spiritual. Let's take just a moment and be spiritual. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we are so thankful uh, for your overwatch of our lives. Lord, that you are constantly in care for us, that your providence never runs slight. Lord, that each time we come to you and open our hearts, Lord, you promise to answer according to your will. Lord, many times the answers we receive may not be exactly what we desired at the time, 
But Lord, as you change our hearts and our minds and mold and make us what you want us to be, our hearts seem to be formed and fashioned to accept just exactly what it is you've given us. And so Lord, through our prayer requests, uh, Lord, through all of our activities, we just come this morning to worship you. It is our prayer that we're able to open our hearts and minds and to lift you up and exalt you as you have asked. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a bulletin this morning, uh, before I uh, call us to worship, there are some announcements that you'll see inside on the back cover. I'll let you read through those. Many times we have the weekly activities or what is up and coming, and Christy will publish many times the things that we have room to put that in, especially if it's recent. But one that's not in there, again, let me remind the men, the chorus, right after Sunday school for just a few moments, if you can, if you're singing and being a part of that, please come right after Sunday school up here to the sanctuary so they can have another rehearsal. They're going to be singing and leading us uh, in song as well uh, in these coming weeks. So uh, we have the choir that'll be singing for us, and we have several specials up in the next uh, several weeks coming. So it's going to be an exciting time for us to worship here and so we invite you to come and be a part. But other than that, we, we have nothing special. The announcements are there. Someone asked if we are doing a fellowship the last week. Yes, we are. This whole year, we committed to taking the fifth Sunday and not do Sunday school, but to have a meal, a fellowship time. And so this year, that's uh, the end of December. And so the last week of December, we will not have Sunday school, but right after the service, we will go ahead and have a fellowship time. And so those of you who are in town, not traveling for the Christmas uh, vacations, then we invite you to stay. And whether it's a group of 50 or 100, uh, we want to fellowship and support and get to know each other as well. So please plan that. Teachers, it is true, the last Sunday of the month, the fifth Sunday this month, we will not have Sunday school so that we can still have a fellowship downstairs. Other than that, uh, I want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. If you've never filled out a visitor card, we'd love for you to do that. It'll give us a record of your visit. It'll also give us a way to, to contact you and to see how we can minister to your family. Um, if you've filled one out before, but you have a special prayer request, please note on the back there's a prayer card, and we invite you to fill that out. Let us know what it is that we can pray for you and your family. And if you want it published, please let us know specifically. Otherwise, we just pray for those as they come in for our staff and our prayer teams, but we don't publish them unless you tell us to do that. But we do want you to be a part of worship, and we want you to join us, so hopefully you got a bulletin so that you can follow along and sing and do the readings, and uh, this morning in a moment we'll be sharing together the Advent season, and so we'll begin this week, and I'll explain that as we get there. But let me take just a moment and call us to worship. And so if you're able, if you would, stand with me from Isaiah 57 before we sing together hymn number 194. O come, O come, let me call us to worship. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of of the contrite. It is our prayer as we worship this morning and lift him up that we too will be revived. Let's sing together as we worship.
be seated. And indeed, Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the reason we come together here this morning to worship him and to confess uh, together that we need Christ, we need his mercy and grace and forgiveness, that we are sinners. Let us join together in confession of sin. Lord God, in this season, we are reminded that you became flesh and dwelt among humanity with perfect love for God and perfect love for neighbor. You entered into this world and the lives of others to bring light and life. We confess that at times we have neglected God and others. We confess that we have not entered into the lives of others in love. We repent of these sins and come to you in confidence, knowing your steadfast love for us endures forever. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. And as we do come in confession, we have assurance from God's word. Psalm 40, verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Pastor Jerry's going to introduce the ones that will be lighting up the candle this morning. Um, it's a, always a, a blessing during the candle lighting opportunity. Each week we try to do different families over the years. Today I've asked John and Lois to come and they have a reading. But you might ask, well, who do I choose? Last year we tried to get seniors in the high school, if you remember, to come up and read. The year before that we had some elders that were new coming. This year I chose the green team. So anybody that serves on the green team, which in this case would be Lois, um, she is the one out there. No. And so each week we have some different people. We can't do them all, but I've talked to several. And so in the weeks to come, they're going to come and lead us uh, and do their readings and light candles. But John and Lois will help. As we begin our Advent season and the lighting of the candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, each candle will bring us closer to the times when we recall Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. Isaiah reminds us in 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. In Matthew 25-13, Jesus tells us concerning his return to watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. Today, we light the candle of hope. This candle of hope is to remind us to prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our prayer through this season that you will trust that Jesus is our hope. This morning, it's my joy and pleasure to lead us in our confession of faith, as well as lead us in our time of prayer this morning. And uh, we continue with the questions from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, we've chosen three this morning, and they particularly talk about the work of Christ, the mediation of Christ, and what is Advent about but uh, the coming of our Savior, the mediator uh, for us, the Lord Jesus. What are the external ways God, Christ uses to bring us the benefits of his mediation? The ordinary external ways Christ uses to bring the benefits of his mediation to his church are his regulations, 
particularly the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effective for the salvation of his chosen ones. What makes the word effective for salvation? The Spirit of God causes the reading and especially the preaching of the word to enlighten, convince, and humble sinners. The Spirit drives sinners out of themselves and draws them to Christ. He conforms them to his image and subdues them to his will. He strengthens them against temptations and corrupting influences, and he builds them up in God's grace and establishes their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. Should everyone read the word of God? Although everyone is not allowed to read the word publicly in church, all people must read it privately on their own and with their families. In order for this to happen, the Bible has to be translated out of the original Hebrew and Greek into contemporary languages. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, on this first Sunday of Advent, how we do thank you for the coming of the living word, the Logos, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in him, we see your glory and your majesty. We behold your grace and your mercy to humble sinners as well. For Father, we know in the incarnation, the mediator came, the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, the one through whom we have access before you, the Father, before your throne of grace and mercy. He tore the curtain in two that we might, Father, approach you boldly in Jesus, our Savior. We thank you as well, Father, for the work of the Holy Spirit, where we have just been reminded of his work in illuminating our hearts and minds to understand and know the Bible, your holy word. We thank you, Father, for the word that reveals to us the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that all this hour Christ would be exalted and glorified in what is said and what is prayed, and in our hearts as well. But we confess, Father, that we are sinners. In thoughts and in words and in deeds, we have broken your commandments and your holy laws. But how we thank you for a mediator who loves us, who cares for us, who loves us eternally, who loves us and laid down his life for us, who gave himself for us, that we might be your sons and daughters in this wonderful season of the year to remember his incarnation, the Son of God. And we behold his glory this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, we come also this morning in intercession. We pray for this nation. We pray, Father, for revival to come to America, a turning back to your holy word, the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin and righteousness in this land. We know it must begin with the people of God, with your church all across this nation, turning back to the word. We pray, Father, for that Holy Ghost conviction of sin and the need of the Savior. We thank you, Father, that you're working in hearts and lives today by your Spirit. 
convicting others of sin and their need of Christ, encouraging us in our walk and when we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, to know the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us, to point us to Christ, to the one who is our mediator, the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray as well for the president, the vice president, the Congress, governors and legislators and city council and county all across our nation. We lift them up before you, all those who are in authority over us, that we might live quietly and peaceably in this land, have freedom to share the gospel, the good news of Christ. We thank you, Father, for this nation. We thank you for all the ways in which you have blessed us and the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy. We pray as well, Father, for those on beds of sickness and illness in our congregation. You know them, we know them by name. We lift them up before you this morning and pray for your grace and strength to be with them, that they too might rejoice in this season, the, knowing that you are the great physician, the healer. And so we pray, Father, for their healing. We pray for their strength, their comfort from your word and your spirit. And we thank you, Father, that you call us to minister to those on beds of sickness and illness and to be of comfort and cheer to them. We thank you for the work of this church in reaching out to the lost as well and those that need Christ. How we thank you, Father, for the faithful preaching of the word from this pulpit and in the Sunday schools and Bible studies, for it is the word of life. It is the living word that we hear by your spirit and your power that you do indeed make effectual unto our salvation. And Father, we continue to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'll stand for the singing of our next song, The Light of the World.
Amen. You may be seated, and I know we appreciate everyone's help and involvement, but if you enjoy having the choir and the instruments lead us in worship, would you say amen? amen. It's always a blessing to uh, in, enhance worship with your gifts and abilities, and we encourage you uh, to do that and plug in wherever God's gifted you um, so that worship can be a participatory and not just led. We're in Mark 7, and uh, we come to a point this morning where I want to challenge you to see how the gospel was supposed to spread from the beginning. We live in a world today that has so much isolationists when it comes to people or organizations. We are threatened in so many ways by what others may receive or what we may lose. It's a competition throughout, but the one thing that is so certain in Scripture is that the gospel was intended to save all of God's children. It wasn't just for the Jews. And this morning we get that in the message that Mark tells us in his gospel, that with all that is going on today, it's amazing, especially with the war that's taking place in Israel and the strip and the tensions that are brought up and the controversies that it causes. Let me just say briefly, I won't give you a whole theological excerpt on everything, but folks, we want Israel to be saved. We want them to hear the gospel message. We want them, as the chosen people of God, they too must still come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we want the people around Israel to be saved. And we pray that whatever is happening in God's ultimate wisdom today, that those who are outside the chosen people of God will be brought inside as the people of God to become like us and become children of God as the Bible tells us, we are children of God by faith, not because we were born to a certain person. And so this morning, Mark brings all of that into a story that sometimes many of you may have wrestled with. I'll read it, and then I'll try to help you. But it's the whole mission that Jesus has to include everyone, including the Gentiles. Mark's makes us, uh, Mark makes us very aware here in the text about the Jew and Gentile distinction and the animosity that exists between them and how they look at one another and how each of them are treated in each other's eyes. No different than in our own world, how we may treat someone differently because of their gender or their race or their ethnicity. Mark brings the story to the forefront, contrasting it between the Pharisees who just think they're the wise ones or the elders in their traditions with a woman cast out from a Gentile world, puts them at opposite extremes. Whether you see the difference between being a Jew and a Gentile, male or female, law or lawless, clean or unclean, you find yourself in this story that they are being contrasted by Mark, how one thinks they're right and the others must be wrong. And then Mark brings this in to where the traditional view of the elders and the leaders believed that salvation could not be obtained apart from the law. And yet we have the story that Mark simply sets in that now we have a Gentile without the law not a male, not a Jew, and she's saved. Listen to what Mark says. He begins the story of the Syrophoenician women in verse 24 of chapter 7. 
Now Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered the house, he wanted no one to know about it. And yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician descent. And she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And Jesus said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And after going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now I'm going to stop right there this morning. I was originally going to go farther to the next story, but that would have taken another hour. And so I guess we could vote uh, how many want to stay two hours or one, right? Yeah. Thanks for the confidence in that. But so I'm going to stop there. So that it's a great break for us to understand a story that many of you have probably never grasped or thought about. How in the world are we talking about dogs and children and crumbs fit into the gospel? How is it that we find ourselves positioned in the same place? Because you and I fit this story. This is about us. This is a story that Mark writes to us to help us understand. I'll walk you through it. It begins in verse 24. Let me just piece it together because so many could be offended if we're not careful. First of all, look at verse 24 up in Tyre where he heads. I'm not sure about this. I don't know why Jesus would go there. Constantly with the Jews, he has told them when he does healings and stuff to please don't tell anybody. Just let it go. It's not quite the time yet. I don't want people to come to me thinking that it's out of favorable things and miracles is what's going to save them. It takes more than that. But in verse 24, he goes to Tyra, which is in the area of Sidon, which is south of there. If you don't understand that, this was the, it, the cities that were, in the Old Testament, introducing bell worship to Israel. These were the pagan cities, pagans of all pagans. This was the Gentile. T- this wasn't a mishap where Jesus just kind of turned one wrong turn and ended up with some neighbors that didn't like him. He went from ministering to Jews in an area that was highly probable for his people to an area that was full of paganism, lostness, and idol worship. Today they were known as the cities, and they are today, in Lebanon, which is very important later on in the chapter when we realize that the truths that come back in Isaiah are for the cities that were in Lebanon. Go research for next week. But what's important about this is that now all of a sudden we have Jesus who wanted to just take a break. He just overcame his situation with the Pharisees and the elders, and now he's going to get away. He goes out of the house. He wants to be alone, and he heads to Tyre to take a break. Pagan worship, idol worship, all kinds of lifestyles that were probably wrong, and he wanted to just get away. You know what that sounds like to me today? Who said it? The beach. Now, I'm not saying that in a mean sense, but sometimes we want to get away and go to the beach. Now, I don't know about you, but where we live down in North and South Carolina, to go to the beach at Myrtle Beach 
was not the place you would go to have a good prayer time. It was not the place you would go to watch family entertainment. It was not the place you would go to hide yourself from the sinful things of the world. Sometimes I think to myself, when we go to the beach to have a getaway, is that really a spiritual retreat to surround ourselves around the lifestyle that takes place at the beaches? I remember the first time I went on a trip to a beach. I won't go into the details. I grew up in Colorado Springs. We were mountain men. We fished in the rivers. It was too cold to get half undressed and jump in the water where we were. But I remember the first time in a college trip down to the beaches, Texas, near Mexico. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, is life different than my cubbyhole of John Brown University at a Christian college campus to go on spring break. Jesus, I don't know why, inserts himself into an environment that was completely in the eyes of the Jews. Mayhem, chaos, sin. Obviously, he doesn't get to be hidden. And it's in this context that all of a sudden Jesus tells us a story to confront the Jew, Gentile, and to bring light to the gospel. When you go to the beach, and I don't mind if you do, take your witnessing tracks, take your gospel, because that's what Jesus did. This isn't the beach. He didn't go on a mission trip. But he found himself immersed in paganism and shared the gospel in a way we all would come to understand. Listen to what happens. He gets there in verse 25 when all of a sudden, despite the background, this woman hears the story, begins to unfold in the case. Listen to how the story says. Hearing about him, this woman, whose little daughter was unclean, immediately came and fell at his feet. She's already worshiping. She's doing the things that the elders in their traditions and the Jews and their laws and the things they had missed. The people who were supposed to be clean and worshipful were the ones that had missed him. And yet this woman from Syrophoenician background, probably Greek because after Alexander the Great and the Hellenization that would take over and the language she would have to learn. And, and being a woman, and catch this, folks, her daughter was full of a demon. Who in their right mind would get near this woman? And she falls at the feet of Jesus. Verse 26 fills us in. And the woman was a Gentile, Syrophoenician, asked for the demon to be cast out. She doesn't apologize for who she is. She doesn't try to defend what's happening. Her heart is true. She's made her way to the one that obviously his knowledge has been about what he's been doing throughout the area, it has spread. We see this in every story. And somehow her heart has been touched. She's been reached by one before the Jews could ever reach her. And the message of truth has penetrated her heart. And she falls at the feet of the one who the Jews should have worshipped. And she never changes her strategy. She was a living example, if you wish. Do you remember the parable in Luke 18? of the widow and the unjust judge. And she comes and pleads her case, and she pleads and bothers him until he finally says, for the sake of just doing it, let's get this over with. And that's the reminder here. She falls down 
almost in this statement than saying, look, why don't you heal my daughter? And the response that she would get would turn most of us away. The response that Jesus would give, this is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who is without sin. And he references her as a dog. And listen to what, she's not going to take no for an answer. Jews who were clean, those who showed unbelief and failed to pay homage, now contrasted with this woman who was unclean and showing belief and falling down in worship. Just how does that happen? How do the outsiders ever get in? We begin to realize that the gospel is not just a story of how things have changed, but a continuation of the plan that God had from the beginning. It was never intended. I could take you back clear to the beginning in the covenantal promises when God reached down to Adam and told him to circumcise his children. It would be a a covenantal promise between him and his children. If you remember the story, it goes back in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. It wasn't just for his children. You're going to see a play on words here in a little while. The covenant promise was for Abraham to circumcise his children, his servants, and any of those that came in from the outside. So it wasn't just for the Jews. It was never in God's plan to be a salvation that would only be for a few based on a racial setting. It was always designed for Jesus to come and to reach those whom God had given him, to die for his children, every nation, race, and tribe. We're told in Revelation that they come from every background, so many that we can't even count them. Oh, it wasn't up to the Jews to decide who gets saved. It was God's plan from the beginning that anyone whose heart has been changed and can fall Prostrate before Jesus Christ and call upon him, they shall be changed. Oh, the story gets particular when he confronts her and many references throughout scriptures reference the dog. Almost all of them are used in hostile environments. And you might ask yourself, well, how in the world does he compare this woman to a dog and justify this? You would know in your readings, those of you who like it, the Greek gives us a little bit of an intuitive word here that helps us. The words that used here for the word for dog, canerion, is also used in a special diminutive case they call it in Greek, which implies that there is an article used with it determined little. And so many would say to you that what actually this should be reading was he's comparing her to a little dog, kind of like a house pet that people have in their homes. This is not the traditional dog setting. So to put that in the play, yes, it's still a dog, but he's referencing her to someone who is not like a dog out on the streets, digging through the trash cans, trying to make its living on its own, causing people to be unclean, biting at them, nipping at them, and tearing people up as they come. That's not the image. The image is she's like that one little pet that sits under the table and patiently waits for the one who's going to feed her. That's what he says. And so all of a sudden we realize 
Then in these references, these dogs, it's in a reference to the children. Listen to what he said. It is not good for that which belongs to the children to be given to the dogs. And so all of a sudden we're told, let the children be satisfied first. Let the children get their filling. Jesus, referring to the Jews. Folks, this is a story about the children who were the children of God, the Jews, and the little dogs that are going to feed on the crumbs of those left over called the Gentiles. And it's a message about the food that's going to be shared that brings both of them eternal life. This isn't just about the dining room table where we sit around and are having a meal juggling between each other what we think about others in the neighborhood and which people we want to be a part of and which ones fit and which ones we should hang out with. That's not the case. This is a story about salvation and how from the very beginning, God intended it for the Jew and the Gentile. That's why we could write in Galatians, it was for the Jew, the Gentile, the slave, the free, the male, the female, because all along it was God's plan. It was in Christ that it became opened and cleared. And here we have an opportunity to see that the children called by Christ, those in the Abrahamic covenant, are now set in the scenario with the Gentiles who need to hear the gospel. The Jews who are children, I'm going to explain some things against the dogs, the Gentiles. Write these down, put them in your words, make notes of them. They're important because in verse 27, Jesus says, let the children be satisfied first. Those of you reading and following along, that's the word technon. It's the word for children who are your biological children, the technos, the asu, o, on, ois, on, ois, us. Those of you who are doing your singulars and plurals and your accusatives to dative cases, it's the same word that is used to donate biological children. Jesus looks at her and says, I have these children of Abraham through the covenant that need to be fed. Why would I throw it to the dogs under the table? Gives us a hint of it because listen to the word that is put there. Let the children be satisfied what? First. You catch that? If there's a first, there must be a what? A second already giving us a clue that it wasn't to stop with the first. It wasn't to end there. It was never intended to only be for one, but it was to be to them first. And when they got their fill, when they had all that was satisfied, that's the word that we are given here. It is the word for kartatsomai that is the Greek word used to be satisfied or to get their fill or to be offered all that is necessary. The scenario opens up that this woman comes to Jesus as a Gentile falls down and says, please heal my child. She could have said it this way. I know I don't belong here. I know the world looks at me differently. I know I'm a mocking scorn to others, and I know I'm considered unclean. I know I don't have the right to be here, but I know who you are. My heart has been touched, and I know you love me, and I know through grace in mercy, I can be changed. And so can my daughter. But the crumbs. Let's just look at it this way. There's a time and a place for the gospel to reach. 
And that's why many times Jesus says, please be silent. Go and don't tell nobody because he doesn't want people coming to him thinking that they can be saved because of a miracle or because of some ecstatic gift or because of some special healing. It takes a lot more than enthusiasm to be a child of God. I hope you love our worship. I hope you love our church. I hope you love our classes. I hope you get excited about being here. But none of those include you in the lineage of faith. You must make a decision for Christ. You must worship him and him alone. No matter what the world says about you, they've been offered their satisfaction. They've been offered their fill, if you wish. The gospel went to the Jews. We know the history. We know they rejected their own. We know the gospel message came out, and we know at the cross and the crucifixion that it will be opened up to all. We get the hindsight of the story, but for this woman who comes to Jesus, she had a better picture of salvation than many of us. Understanding that, look, I know what belongs to them will one day eventually get to us. And even if it's only a small portion, it's all I need in order for you to save me. And you could do it now. If it's for, intended for us in the future, let me have just a little bit of it right now. And all of a sudden, this priority that was only intended in the minds of so many for the Jews begins to get understood and spread to a Gentile, unclean, Syrophoenician, Gentile woman. And she understands better than the Pharisees. Isn't it amazing when God touches someone's heart that he can actually do it without you? that he can actually reach across the borders, the places you've never been. Oh, the selfish side of me who needs to be humbled and even humiliated at times wants to believe that when I go to churches, I'm gonna change everything and make it all right, only to realize that most every place I've been, God was there working way before I ever got there. He'd been in the business of touching hearts and changing minds, just allowing me to be a part. She falls down, cries out, and listen to his response or her response to Jesus. He says children biological. He says first. He says they need their fill. Listen to her response. She says this. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, Kuri, only time it's used in the book of Mark. The only time that someone recognizes who he is. The only time that someone pays the homage of the one who has come down and revealed himself as the Messiah. The only time it is used. It is not used by the Pharisees. It is not used by the tradition of the elders. It is not used by the 12 that are following. It is used by a woman from a paganistic society who falls down and simply says, Lord... I know who you are. Her response is, and because I know who you are, I know what you can do. Have you ever prayed that to Jesus? Lord, I know who you are and I know what you can do. And what I'm about to ask you may sound crazy, but I know only you can do it. 
Only you can change my daughter and what she's going through. Only you can change my father and what he's been going through. Only you can change our family structure and what worse. Only you can help us. He's the one. We come to him for that reason. But listen, she uses this word, let the, or she answered and said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Circle that word, children. That's not the same word as the other word, children. That's the word, paideon, which is the word for children who represents those of a family or servants and those outside the family. She's responding to the Lord about the crumbs that she wants and about the dog who she is. She's not questioning that she's a dog. She's not even arguing the point. She's just simply saying, but yes, look at me, a child that's not of biological descent. I don't belong to Abraham. I didn't belong to the covenant. I wasn't born into the family, but I'm still a child. I can still belong. I still am here. Let us feed, even the dogs. She understands the extension that goes beyond even Israel. Even as those servants in the covenant with Abraham understood it was extended to them. She realizes that the gospel is for her. That's why protos, this word for the first, is giving her the hint. Listen how it is used. It does not exclude the hungry animals under the table. You eat first. I don't know how you do it at your home. I don't know if you're allowed to feed the dogs from the top of the table. I don't know how high they sit in their chairs and how where they sit and what they're allowed to eat off of. And I don't know if you have rules that say, well, no, they can't eat off the table, but we'll allow them to eat afterward when we have scraps. But that's not what she's saying. Listen to what she's saying. At the same time, what she is saying is, I'm not asking for the children's food. I'm not asking you to give me what they want. I simply want what they don't want and what they don't think they need. And they've already had their fill. And when those crumbs fall to the floor, that's enough for me. And here's what's so amazing. We could eat them as dogs at the same time the children are eating there. The message of salvation for both at the same time. And one didn't have to take from another. Grateful for all that they were given. She recognized this. The dogs also have a place in this. She understands her purpose better than anyone else in Israel. Just a crumb is all it takes. I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe it's time you stop trying to eat all the steaks and the fills and the bread. Folks, this is set into the context of the stories that we begin to realize that are set right before and after the feedings of the 5,000 and the 4,000. We understand cortazzo and what it means to have your fill. We watched them collect baskets and baskets of food when there was only a little to start with. I can tell you one thing for certain as a little trash man boy growing up living off the clothes of those collected on the trash routes wrapping toys to share and have fun through the year 
putting the carpet in your rooms that came out of other homes that weren't wanted. I know what it's like to grow up living off the things nobody else wanted and didn't know the difference. But I can tell you one thing I've learned. It only takes one crumb. And if you're willing, like I am, to eat off the leftovers of other churches, other pastors, other communities, it only takes one word. When we're talking about the bread of life, we're talking about the opportunity to have the gospel. Not taking it from others, we're not stealing it away, but we don't have to wait until the end to find what we need now. The gospel is being preached. This woman comes, rejoices over just the crumbs. And so many of us, so unhappy and throw away so much extra. And I'm not talking about food. Just how much grace do we waste? that we've taken advantage of and mercy that we've shunned because we think God owes it to us when the one who's just waiting for the crumb. She found it. She found the one who she could put her faith in whose love would extend to her. She found the one whose hope in the one would never leave her wanting and she found the one first and touched her heart. And so in verse 29, the woman understands all that is happening, says to him, Lord, even these dogs under the table feed on these crumbs. And then he gives her the answer. Again, we're like Jacob and the angel that wrestled back in the Jabbok River. Wrestled until he was blessed. She was not going to leave. She knew what the Lord could do. And she hung in there. She hung in there as a dog. She hung in there as a Gentile. An unclean Syrophoenician woman. And I'm not leaving until you bless me. That's what Jacob says. And Jesus says the same. He treated this woman not as a dog, but as one of his children. He looks to her and says, and Mark, because of this answer. Do you know what it says in Matthew? Great is your faith. Same story. Go. And he treats her not as one that the rest of the world did. But heals her daughter, witness the demon, and is never there. Her righteousness comes from the same food of the Jews' righteousness. It wasn't different food. It wasn't another offering. It wasn't another meal. It was the crumbs of the same food. If I could give it to you in another story, 
Salvation has now included in the superabundance of grace that is now spilled over and included those that were on the outside to be brought in. It's in this story that we realize Romans chapter 11 when we are told that those of a non-Jewish descent are wild branches. And that we are told those wild branches would have to be grafted into the same tree, not a different one, not a whole new one. It is when Paul writes to the Romans that we would honestly say, we are the dogs. We are the Gentiles. We are the ones that just wanted the crumbs. And Jesus treats us like his children and blesses us. The Father has given us his Son. He's given us the bread of life. And who in their right mind would change one crumb of the bread of life for anything else in the whole wide world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to have the crumbs, to be grafted in, to have the same righteousness as the others, only through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us when we have seen the grace overflow on our plates and we worry about who else it goes to, when we see the mercy overflowing and we're worried how others are treated. Lord, let us see the love extend. Let us see the faith that you've reached come to life. Let us see that hope be fulfilled. Lord, let us be the ones that you use to share the bread of life. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask if our ushers will come to help with the Lord's table, those who will be serving. You will see in your bulletin, if you would like to take and turn to your bulletin, the song that we'll be singing together. Uh, the first verse we will sing through twice as we pass the bread and then we will sing the other ones, each ones as we do. But before we begin to hand out, I would like to read to you from Luke. His story simply says this. I have really desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He had taken the cup and given thanks. He said, this is a share in among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some of the bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, as he took the bread, I take the bread and say, He broke it. This is his body. And he shared it to do in remembrance of him. And so this morning, I'm going to ask if our ushers will take and share this bread with you. As it is passed, I ask that you please take one and hold on to it until we can take together. And go ahead, you can begin as I pray and then I want to share. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we share, as we take of the bread, as we eat of the crumbs. 
as we eat of your body and your blood, as it spiritually feeds us in our walk. Bless us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're passing this out, let me remind you that the Bible simply makes it clear that if you've never made a profession of faith, if you've never tested yourself or examined yourself, then please refrain from eating. It is for those who've made a profession of faith. It is for those who trust in Jesus Christ, who know him as their Lord and Savior as we take. If you're here this morning and that's not you, please come and see me. Please come and talk with me. I would love to introduce you to the message of truth that could change your life forever. But in the meantime, would you please sing as we go through twice the first stanza in your bulletin as we pass it out. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Do this unless indeed you fail the test. He said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. He said, in the same way, he took the cup. 
just as the new covenant, my blood poured out for you, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I ask that as we pass the tray that you would please take one and hold on to it until we can all partake together. In the meantime, we'll sing together the next two stanzas that are written there in your bulletin. Please pass that out. In the same way, he took the cup. This is my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
that we can feed upon your son, Jesus Christ. And that we can have him to spiritually renew us. And your Holy Spirit lives within us. Lord, now I ask that not only do you revive our spirits as we go forth, but Lord, take what we have to offer and give back to you. Lord, take the small portion that we have here this morning as we come to an offering, Lord, that you would use it to do just as you had done yourself. But let us use these funds to reach out to the lost and pagan world where you have already touched the hearts of your people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
you had received the benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. I think we got one more big closing song, but I'm headed to the back to catch everybody. So.